everyone and welcome back to another episode of Green Jeans. I am your one co-host Annika Van Rossum using pronouns she, her, joined by my other co-host. Maya Van Rossum also uh, using pronouns she, her, and wonderfully impressed Annika that you zoomed to the United States Supreme Court for today's episode. Yeah, so for people who are listening, I have a Zoom background that is SCOTUS. I'm not actually there as much as I want to be. So I'm studying for the bar exam. Um, but yeah, so if you haven't, yeah, I Zoomed right here because I'm so infuriated. And if you haven't joined our podcast before, we are a mother-daughter duo talking about important social and environmental justice issues through a generational lens. And boy, boy, do we have a show today. <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, it's just like an onslaught of Supreme Court rulings just sort of taking over literally the world by uh, through decisions from these activist judges, right? That, well, at least that's the way I look at it. Am I crazy or like, is this, I don't, well, granted, you need I, to let people know what this is because people might not know which of the multitude of decisions oh. you're referring to. <laughs> well, no, I have a general question about all the okay. decisions. Is this feels like a lot of decisions in a very short amount of time? And is this in your experience as a attorney and being in the world, is this like weird? I feel like this is a lot at once. And maybe I just haven't paid yeah. attention throughout the years. Well, I think what happens is that the that that there are days when the Supreme Court, you know, releases opinions. Um, and to be perfectly honest with you, I, you know, I don't monitor or track um, how quickly they come out or how many, you know, in a bunch. But I think what what is striking is that we now have a slew just within the last week, two weeks, week, two really, weeks. it's like been a week. Weeks. Like a week and a half, yeah. Um, an onslaught of um, decisions that dramatically impact all people, impact fundamental rights, um, impact inalienable rights, impact the, the way, how, and if people here in the United States of America literally get to live. Yeah. Like how they live, if they live, um, and whether or not their um, children or grandchildren, should they choose to have them, have the ability to live. Yeah. So if you're listening to this, probably the one on everyone's mind is that Roe v. Wade has been overturned. That's the one. But if you haven't seen the other cases, Basically, people cannot, per the other big ones are people cannot personally sue police officers for violating their Miranda rights, even if that evidence was used in court in a conviction against somebody. So that's one. Um, and then today, we're going to talk about the EPA case. We'll get into that in a second. Um, but today, they also came out with that states can now pro go prosecute um, non, non, the term is Indians, but non-tribal members on Native American land, which before tribes are sovereign nations and states had no authority to go in there. And now they're like, go ahead, whatever you want to do. So that's the baseline of it all. But we're going to talk about the EPA case. Well, yeah, except that you forgot one, right? The other one, the other one was um, a case about a New York law. Oh, and the New York gun law. The New York gun law, right? Where a law that had been on the books for what, a hundred years? Yeah. Where the, the um, uh, state had put limitations on the ability to get a license to um, carry a concealed weapon. And the, the court um, said, essentially, your standard is too broad. You're asking for 
I don't know, too much that a person has to demonstrate that there's a reason why they need to have that, that right, that ability. Um, and so the court just decided to toss out that, again, that law that's been on the books for a hundred years. Um, and so now the states are all gonna be scrambling um, if they in fact want to put in place protections. And I, and I think, you know, I actually was, um, you know, hearing a number of news broadcasts on the day that that, that, that decision came out. And, um, you know, just talking about all the places and the spaces where, you know, we, we believe that there is and should be a limitation on people carrying uh, guns. Mm -hmm. But the way the Supreme Court is just so cavalierly overthrowing protections of all kinds. Um, and when it comes to gun rights, you know, just speaking about the right to bear arms as this, this, um, this overwhelming fundamental authority, you know, fundamental right um, that, that should resist limitations that are really important for keeping people safe. I mean, I, I think that that I and others are very fearful about what are the other places and spaces where we now have protections against people carrying weapons, concealed or otherwise, that are now just gonna be thrown off the books because the Supreme Court, this activist, very activist conservative Supreme Court decides they want everybody to have a gun. And like, they, they, we said, should like, they literally, right? They literally yeah. said we should go back in time to you know, when the Constitution was passed and the Second Amendment was added, to decide what if there should be limitations on gun laws, and I think back then, you know, and there have been periods in history where people really are just wandering around with guns everywhere, and I guess we're going back to that. And oh, I also forgot too. Can't believe I forgot. Um, the 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 coach who was praying on the field. And the Supreme Court basically ruled that you're allowed to now do like prayer at like public schools, which are directly tied to the government, which like goes totally against the whole separation oh. of church and state. And the government shall not do anything to establish a religion, um, nor prevent the free exercise of it. But that's a whole other thing. But the and in that case, it was basically because the coach was fired. But they they I feel like they made it up. The court made up their reasoning, which they do and said like but he was fired because after the school told him to not pray on the field he was praying by himself in his office and the school then fired him so they turned it into a like so the school violated his free speech which is just like not what happened like it just wasn't what happened so also separation of church and state never mind um and the, gun, the gun law one is like you know what the right to carry a gun too important, too vital to be left up to the states. We must re regulate it as the federal government. But the right to your body and to choose to like not be impregnated, it's fine. States do whatever the fuck you want with it. Like, <laughs> I don't understand. Don't get it. But then again, I'm not surprised. Well, you know, and 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 we're gonna, I'm gonna begin where, frankly, um, on the environmental front, I think that we end as a result of all this. Um, what is very, very clear is that if we want people to have 
the ability to drink clean water and breathe clean air, to be entitled to a stable climate and to be you know, um, protected from the ravages of a climate crisis that's being accelerated by dirty fossil fuels and other industrial operators that are allowed to advance because of government. If we want people to be able to have the, the many benefits of species of all kinds, like pollinator bees, essential for food creation, or places and spaces to recreate that are natural and beautiful. If we want any of those things, then we need very clear, explicit constitutional protection in the Bill of Rights section of our state constitutions, and then an, an amendment ultimately added to the federal constitution as well, that will protect environmental rights in the same most powerful way we protect gun rights. And we can see with regards to gun rights, when you have that, you know, that language, um, not only can activist judges grab onto it to, to, to do what they want, but activist judges can't can't undermine it in the same way. But when you have a right like the right to abortion, where it's not explicitly laid out, where it's 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 inferred through the language and through the interpretation of the Constitution in 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 many right-thinking ways. Well, if if it doesn't say you have a right to an abortion, then when you get to court, um, judges can literally wipe it out and take it away. Um, it's, you know, if it's explicitly there, they can't do that. Um, or they certainly can't do it in the same way. Maybe they can put in place limitations or a thing, but they can't wipe it away. So well, that's yeah, where I, we end up, in my opinion, as a result of all this. No, and we'll get into, and I think that's like super important because I think for the lay person who doesn't understand, like Roe v. Wade, the right to abortion is it's not even a right to abortion. It's technically a right to medical privacy when that case went forward. And abortion was like one of the things, just like the same right to like contraception and to Viagra and things like that. So there's never been a right to abortion in the constitution, which is what Clarence Thomas latched onto and does this whole, well, if the constitution doesn't explicitly say it, it's not a right. And that's why he's now going on his crazy. We have to go look at overturning same-sex marriage and gay rights and all that stuff because it's not explicitly stated in the constitution it's like arguments under different clauses so i think that's like yeah they haven't done anything to touch the fundamental rights that we have unfortunately that includes the second amendment for whatever reason but like all of the bill of rights they can't do anything to take them away because those are like that's a big deal if they did that and it's not going to happen so I yeah think they can really weaken good they can weaken it, they can undermine it, they can transform it, they can allow, you know, significant limitations, but as you can't, as you say, they, they can't wipe it out. Now, let's go to the, let's go to the West Virginia versus US EPA case that, that is the, um, the environmental case that just came out of the Supreme Court. Now there, of course, we are not talking about a fundamental environmental right, because that is not explicitly in the Constitution, nor has it ever been interpreted to be in the Constitution. Now there are there are um, lawsuits that have been advancing, you know, over the years, where there has been an effort to get the federal courts to read the rights 
climate rights, essentially, um, or the obligation of government to act on climate into existing constitutional language. Um, but you know th those cases have not gone all the way through to conclusion. They certainly haven't made it up to the Supreme Court. And I think what we just have witnessed um, in this recent spate of decisions, I think it's um, you know the bar has gotten even higher uh, when it comes to advancing those cases. But so at this point, there isn't, nor has there been at the federal level, a constitutional right to a stable climate or to clean, healthy, safe environment. So we're not talking about a constitutional right, but we are talking about the authority of the US EPA to regulate emissions from um, fossil fuel power generators, particularly coal, um, that are climate changing emissions. And you know, there's, we're not going to go into the intricacies, frankly, of what the court said or why it said. I really feel like the court just twisted itself in pretzels. Uh, twisted itself in pretzels? Pretzel twisted? I don't know. But it twisted itself like a pretzel. How's that? Um, to really find a way to say that the effort by the US EPA to um, put in place regulations that would get these power generating companies off of fossil fuels like coal and on to ultimately clean and renewable sources of energy, the court decided that that was an overreach, that EPA did not have that authority under the Clean Air Act um, because what they were seeking to do was sort of change the system of how power generate, how power is secured, how it is generated rather than putting in place specific limitations on facilities and how those facilities operate. Yeah. And I like, so what hurt my brain trying to understand this is that like the original right power to regulate or the original plan to regulate was under the clean power plan from the Obama administration. And then that whole thing got put on hold. And then Trump amended it with like the American Clean Energy Act or something to basically say like, well, they're trying to like, the EPA is trying to regulate everybody, but really they should only be able to regulate the physical property. And so that that, and then that got put on hold. And then I thought that I felt like Roberts or whoever wrote it says, I think it's Robert said, like, because the Biden administration is so pervasive in trying to also secure clean energy, just like the Obama administration, this case is going to happen and these issues are going to happen. So now we have authority to hear it and to do this, even though like neither the clean power plan nor the, the Trump era one were like actually like happening quite yet. It's just like a regulation that's sitting there. Yeah. I mean, I think that you're leading to a very important point that I saw in the case as well, which is the fact of the matter is that the US Supreme Court had plenty of opportunity not to take this case up at all. Um, because the, the, they are focused primarily on the Obama era clean power plan. The Biden administration said very clearly, look, this case is, uh, you know, we're never going to implement the clean power plan. And so there were really two ways for the court to, to um, rightly say, 
we shouldn't be rendering a decision on this one for mootness because they're analyzing a regulatory scheme that the the Biden administration has said they're never going to implement. So you're you're assessing a scheme that's never going to happen. What a waste of time. That's number one. Or number two, for something called standing. In order to pursue a case in court, you have to have someone who's harmed. Well, if the clean power plan is never going to be implemented, then nobody's going to be impacted by it because it's never going to be implemented. So then the courts could have said, look, there's nobody has standing. Nobody has the legal right to address this case. So under either of those two, those two theories, they should have said, this case has no business taking up time in our court. Well, and they but also- in, But they I, didn't. Yeah, they. I mean, they also have like, just because I'm doing bar prep, so it's in my brain. Like one of the things too is like, you have to have authority to hear the case under ripeness, which is exactly what it sounds like. The case has to come to fruition. It has to be happening. Like, and nothing's happening. So they just kind of, in my opinion, they just kind of made it up. And we're like, well, we want to do it. So here you go. That's exactly what they did. They had plenty of reasons to say, there's no reason to look at this. And yet they said, we're going to look at it anyway, because in our imaginations, even though the government has said very clearly, this is never going to happen. We're actually going to create our own set of new rules, we, the Biden administration. So as you said, the plans that came before are, are meaningless. Like why waste um, time on that? So it's never going to happen. But the court said, well, in our imaginations, we could imagine, essentially what they're saying, we could imagine that the Biden administration is lying. So I have in the in SCOTUS blog, it, when I was trying to read the basic of the case, it says, and in this case, Robert stressed, because the Biden administration vigorously defends the approach that the Obama EPA took with the clean power plan, the Supreme Court can weigh in. <laughs> like you just made it up. They just made it up. And then the other thing is the other and um, the other um legal sort of precedent that comes into play here. I don't know if they wrote about it in your SCOTUS blog. I wrote about it in my press statement that I released on this was that there is something called um, deference, agency deference. It's a, from a, a 1984 case, Chevron versus NRDC. And essentially what it says is, is look, when you're, when you're challenging the way an agency interprets and applies um, it's a, the authority that it's been given by its legislature here, Congress at the state level would be at the, you know, by the legislature, um, how they interpret and how they apply that either through leg regulations or through implementation. If there's a case in controversy about that, when we're doing our assessment about whether or not the government agency appropriately acted under its, the authority granted to it, we will give deference to the agency's interpretation, because they're the ones with the expertise, both in the law and often in the science and in the facts and in, in how this law could and should best be interpreted and work. And, you know, they have the knowledge, they have the experience. The court doesn't have it, um, certainly in the same way, nor would a challenger have it in the same way. And so we give deference. Here, there's like, no deference. I, you know, like they, it's just, we don't like what the EPA is saying or doing. We don't like what the Biden administration is saying or doing. So we are going to replace 
everything they're saying and doing, their whole entire analysis, we're going to replace it with our own personal, political, religious, moral preference. That's what they're doing in this case. That's what they've done in those other cases that we've talked about. That is genuinely the definition of being an activist judge. You throw out precedent. You don't properly apply the rules of law. Um, that's an activist judge. And that is what conservative legislators rail against all the time. Oh, the liberals are so activists. They're so activists. Bullpucking. <laughs> this is judicial activism at its best. And they've now done it on women's rights. They've done it with regards to protection from guns. As you said, they've done it with the rights of Native Americans and their sovereign authority. They've done it with regards to the environment. You right, They've done it with regards to civil rights and, and, and Miranda. And that's just in the past week and a half, two weeks. What are we in store for over the next two and a half years, over the next, well, many years until something changes up? with this court, I, we are just slicing down rights, people, future generations that are gonna be subjected to the ravages of the climate crisis. It is literally mind blowing how much damage this court has done in such a short period of time and what this signals for what we're in for in the coming years if something doesn't dramatically change. Well, and also the, the Chevron deference, that just made me giggle because like that was like a first case I learned um i was it's first year like the, it's the, first, the, year law first year school. law school it's like the most basic thing and and uh, and almost every single environmental case cites this precedent well and i don't the thing that like again it hurts it hurts my brain because i just am like i don't get it i don't get it is roberts goes so like for other for people too who don't know like Part of the reason there's agencies is it's in like the constitution that Congress is allowed to create agencies because Congress can't do everything and can't legislate everything all the time. And the power to create laws and legislation, all that is vested in Congress. So Congress essentially gets to create as little baby agencies and say, here you go. You are experts in this field. You know what you're doing. We're giving you power to regulate. And like, there's like some stuff that has to go through Congress and all, but like, essentially like we're we're passing the buck to you have a good time and that's what the epa is is federal agency that's allowed to create regulation and i and like and then chevron deference and all that and i don't understand because then roberts goes on this whole thing and he goes capping carbon dioxide emissions at a level that will force whatever he's like a nationwide transition away from the use of coal to generate electricity may be a sensible solution to the crisis of the day and then Roberts wrote, goes on, but it is not plausible that Congress gave EPA the authority to adopt on its own such a regulatory scheme. That's exactly what Congress created the EPA for because Congress doesn't have time and the legislators in Congress don't have time to study greenhouse gases, to read hundreds of pages of scientific reports, to look at graphs, nor do they want to. That's why the EPA exists. So like, I don't get it. Like when I say it's not just cause I'm mad, I'm like, it doesn't even make sense. It's literally not true. 
they made up so many things. And then they said that this provision of the Clean Air Act, which is the provision that's really focused. So they're, they're basically the Clean Air Act, like the Clean Water Act, like all laws, they sort of have different approaches for handling pollution problems or environmental degradation. Um, and this is the part of the Clean Air Act that's focused on existing facilities. And the, you know, and, and essentially what the law sets out is let's look at what's the pollution, what is the existing pollution in the air, what's too much, you know, how should we regulate what's actually in the air, and then we look at the sources and we, we, we make sure the sources are not putting out so much pollution that they're not meeting these standards we set for what's actually in the air. And there's a level that's focused on hazardous air pollutants, right? Those are the more dangerous air pollutants. And then there's this part that's like, okay, you know, we're going to address what's in the air. We're going to be looking at um, hazardous pollutants. We're going to be looking at new facilities that are being built. Make sure that they're using the best technology, right? Um, when it comes to which is like pollution. not an unreasonable standard like yeah. that makes sense but and this is the part of the of the clean air act that's focused on existing sources right so before the clean air act came into play before it was modified in the 1990s before various regulations right it takes time to develop and hand down regulations right there are facilities that have gone, been constructed and gone into operation. And this is saying for those facilities that evaded um, regulation by these other pathways, we can now go back and make sure that those existing facilities come into compliance with these protective levels that we've set. I mean, it makes perfect sense, right? You don't want to grandfather in all the crap that's already happening, all the bad stuff, because there's a lot of bad stuff. You want to be able to go back and those facilities that evaded regulation for whatever reason, when they were built, how they operated, when the regulations were passed, whatever reason, you want to be able to go back and bring them up to the same standard as everybody else, which by the way, equitably, is the right thing to do. I mean, for business operations, it is, and, and I hear this from developers and industrial operators all the time. I hear this, that it's not fair to put a standard on us that is more stringent than other people who are, you know, who are conducting the same kinds of operations. You have to be equitable. Everybody has to be subjected to the same requirements and standards. That is exactly what this provision is intended to do. And yet one of the excuses the Supreme Court used in their whole rigmarole pretzel twisting decision was this provision of the Clean Air Act had not been used all that much in the past. So now it's suddenly using it in this way is somehow an overreach. So we hadn't used it that much. Now we're using it. So therefore we shouldn't be allowed to use it. Makes no sense. Well, and they just like, also Gorsuch is just a hoe for states' rights and for state sovereignty. Like that's why the one good opinion that he cited on in the dissent was the Native American sovereignty one because he's like no they're a sovereign nation they should have rights like a sovereign nation the states have no right to intervene and this is ridiculous but in this because he's a 
ho for state sovereignty. He's literally like, yes. And he goes, this raises basic questions about self-government, equality, fair notice, federalism, and the separation of powers. No, it doesn't. Like, it's like, yeah, it's like, you're just making stuff up. And I don't get it. And like, it is, I understand that there is like, believing me being in law school there's all this like these jokes you know like lawyers are snakes lawyers don't make sense and like yes to some degree there are plenty of people who use the law and rigmarole their way around but like there are also people that are like this is the law this is the way it's written and we're going to interpret it properly and interpret it to benefit the era that we're in not make us go back and yeah not make sense like oh you didn't like what what like if you don't use it, you lose it. That's just what they said. It's so stupid. I mean, and really, we just have to bring it back to the basic fundamentals. We are facing climate catastrophe. The U.S. is a major, if not the major contributor, when you look over history to climate changing emissions. The emissions that we are contributing to the climate crisis, the greenhouse gas emissions, are increasing because of fracking and fossil fuel extraction and the release of methane emissions, right? That is the emission that over a 20 year time frame tremendously exacerbates the climate crisis. That is the emission that we have to corral if we want to avoid um, reaching the tipping point that takes us over the edge of two degrees, more protective 1.5 degrees in terms of um, a warming climate. We, the Clean Air Act is, should be the mechanism by which our government officials can protect us, can protect future generations from the devastating ramifications of the climate crisis, right? Wildfires, heat waves, drought, floods, illness, the economic, I mean, the vast economic costs and the interpretation, the EPA, okay, maybe it's not the way that you or I would interpret it. Maybe it's not the way the court would interpret it, but it was a defensible interpretation that made sense. And the court stripped away and they didn't even just strip away this interpretation. They put in place an incredibly high standard, which is really going to prevent um, in, in no small part the EPA from being able to take on climate changing emissions unless they can meet this new standard, this new legal test that the court um, is, is having be applied under another doctrine, right? Like an old doctrine, but, but essentially for the EPA to be able to address climate changing emissions, it has to be able to point to quote, clear congressional authorization, end quote. Do you think in the politics of today, where we don't just have right legislators who who are denying um, the climate crisis, maybe because they believe it more often than not, in my opinion, because their opinion is being bought and paid for by industry, but legislators that are denying that it's real or denying that it's the result of human activity or they maybe they say oh yeah the climate climate change is real but it's not a problem it's part of the natural cycle we have people like that in 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 having a strong foothold 
at the federal government, do you think that there was going to be the passage of any law that clearly the EPA can point to that says this gives us clear congressional authorization to, to, to address climate? No, not going to happen. What does that mean? The climate crisis, climate changing emissions coming out of the, not going to happen. What does that mean? Wildfires, floods, droughts, heat waves getting worse and worse and worse. And what does that mean, Annika? Your children, should you choose to have them, which you may choose not to, which would be fine. And my grandchildren, should you or Vim choose to have them, which you may not, which may be fine, or you know, other offspring are facing an uncertain, unsafe future. It's That's just like it's reprehensible. That's like the BS too, is it's like, don't force me to birth a kid when you're not creating a environment that I could actually raise a child in. Like, I don't, don't put that on me. That's not my, like, you're, you're killing my planet. And like, I, I don't want to bring a kid into that. I like, do I feel a little bit of a duty as an activist now that I need to birth like my own personal army of green activists? Yes. A little bit. Um, <laughs> kidding. Sort of. Um, but like, yeah, it doesn't make sense. And I just don't, I don't get it. And to me, it's like the, that burden too, it read very much, actually, you can tell me if I'm wrong, but to when the first Pennsylvania, one of the first Pennsylvania green amendment cases happened, that the court was like, if the Pennsylvania legislature doesn't explicitly state that there's a law that the green amendment can be used, then it can't work like then it can't be implemented, but only because of a great Pennsylvania Supreme Court justice in a great case brought by you and other attorneys and everybody being like, this law has been read wrong. And that and a judge being able to overturn that, have we now this immense power in Pennsylvania? And I feel like the court has almost done that here in trying to put a cap on something that's like, you're just reading the law wrong. You're just doing it wrong. And now you've made it harder for everybody else. And because there's no constitutional check on that power, on that abuse of power that the people can grab onto to challenge what the justices have done, um, we're left with no remedy. And that's part of the problem. And, and that is why, you know, having green amendments passed at the state level, okay, it's not gonna remedy this court case, but um, what it will mean is if we can get green amendments in every state across our nation, it means that we will have constitutional obligations on state government authorities, whether it's the legislator, the governor's office, the regulators, the town councils, right? There will now be an obligation on them to address all aspects of environmental protection. And ideally, these green amendments will explicitly mentioned the climate, which they do in a number of the states where Green Amendments for the Generations is working, right? Climate is explicitly in there. The right to a stable climate and the obligation of government to protect the climate is explicitly in there. So now when, um, when we have our government misusing, misreading, misapplying the law, the people can grab on to the Constitution to try and fix it. Um, that's what will happen at the state level, state after state after state. And state governments have a lot of authority when it comes to the environment. Um, at least historically they have. 
So this really becomes a powerful tool at the state level. And ultimately, when we really start to change the hearts and the minds of people sweeping across the nation, because we've got green amendments passing state after state after state, and people are seeing the immense power and benefit of having constitutional environmental rights, we will be sowing the, the, the seeds necessary to ultimately get a federal green amendment. And once we get a federal green amendment, now, I suppose one could say, well, if, if the Supreme Court reads uh, you know, the Constitution in a way that totally denies and ignores a constitutional right, I mean, like, what do you do? There is no higher authority. But the truth is, if it's explicitly stated in the Constitution, I really don't foresee that ever happening. On the other hand, I never thought that I would see an insurrection led by the president of the United States. So, but, but I think that we really, if we can get these constitutional green amendments, we are taking the most powerful legal tool we have and we're using it to our benefit. And we're stripping away the ability of activist judges like those on the US Supreme Court from really abusing us by taking away our fundamental rights that we have told them explicitly belong to us. Well, I mean, that's just part of the thing, too, is I feel like it's a lot, as much as I don't like it, it's a lot easier for them to do these rigmaroles with, like, congressional agencies and with arguments under the 14th Amendment of the Due Process Clause and, like, all this stuff. It's easy for them to do a rigmarole, and I think it's a lot easier for them to undermine things that maybe, like, everyday people don't understand. But everyday people understand the First Amendment. Every day, you cannot rigmarole your way out of stripping somebody of that. And so I think to have a Green Amendment in the, like, eventually in the federal constitution, but also, like, in the state constitutions, and I think at least from what I've seen from the people in Pennsylvania and the new New York who are, like, very aware, like, I'll actually I'll start with New York. The people in New York who voted for that in their Bill of Rights, I'm going to say good fucking luck taking that away from them. Be good, like, good fucking luck, because people were jazzed up about it it got like over 68 percent voted in like good luck taking that fundamental right away from people so I can only imagine like having that in the federal constitution like no supreme court is going to touch it and if they try like buildings are getting burned down just like we're seeing now with things that aren't even necessarily but you're not advocating for that I'm not advocating for that no no <laughs> yeah that's actually a good test I'm saying we're going to see people get really upset and peacefully make their voices heard. Yeah. And the thing is, is, you know, right now, because we now know that the US EPA and, and potentially other agencies at the federal level really um, now are going to have a very, very difficult time addressing greenhouse gas emissions and the climate crisis, it becomes even more imperative that we do what we can do at the state and local level. And there is a lot, like I said, that can be done at the state and local level because there's a lot of authority at the state and local level when it comes to the environment and environmental protection. So getting constitutional green amendments that will support stronger interpretation of the laws that are already on the books in those states and support the passage of stronger laws yet to address the climate crisis and the other ramifications. Because remember, climate changing emissions aren't just exacerbating the climate crisis. They also harm human health and inflict other impacts on, on people and the environment. And so when we address those emissions for the myriad of reasons that they cause harm, we are also helping to address the, the climate crisis. So just more 
we need to do more at the local level and at the state level. And I think that, um, you know, one of the most important empowering things that we can do to have broad change, not a little regulation here or another gap filling law there, but big, broad change across the state, across um, state after state after state is the passage of constitutional green amendments. So, and I think today the, the decision, the decisions that of the Supreme Court, whether it's about the EPA or whether it's about the women's right to control her own body and access appropriate health care, um, solidifies the power and importance of explicit environmental rights and um, climate rights being added to our state and federal constitution. I agree. And I think that's a perfect, I think that's a perfect wrap up. So yeah, get, get involved in the Green Amendment movement, guys, if you took nothing else away from this episode. Um, but yeah, go to www.forthegenerations.org. You can also go to the little link that will be in the description below to maybe pre-order the second edition of the Green Amendment book coming out this November. You can always make a little fancy schmancy donation to Green Amendments for the Generations, also linked below. My arm is disappearing. Um, but yeah. I think that's it. So we will see you next time. See you next time.